Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Niche Podcast, but the one thing I know something about game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. Hey! I'm kind of back in a weird limbo state, but we're here. Uh, today's episode's going to be full of more game show reviews, obviously. Uh, we have a few from the UK. We have a few uh, that are uh, from streaming, and we have What Lies Ahead. Um, I just want to get one out of the way first. Uh, I want I I watched a movie called Quiz Lady, and I want to actually talk about that real quick. Also, because that was the first thing uh, that came out. Can't Stop the Quiz is a long-running game show since the 90s, hosted by the iconic Terry McNear. It's basically a lot of game shows rolled into one. You've already seen them before. Now, if you're new to the show, and I'm sure none of you have because it's, again, a long-running game show, it is played in three rounds, uh, essentially in a knockout kind of competition. Uh, so... In round one, you have three contestants in the category board of 10 answers. Five minutes are on the clock, and the contestant picks a category. Usually the return champion goes first, and a question is asked. If they get the question right, they win 100 bucks. If it's wrong, they lose 100 bucks, and someone can steal it for $100. Uh, and then that keeps going for five whole minutes, or until all the questions have been depleted, whatever comes first. Now, this is where it gets a little silly. Whoever has the lowest score at the end of this round is eliminated from the game, so only two people can stop the quiz. Now, you might have remembered, uh, the values have not really changed that much. It has originally been 25 bucks, but then increased to 100. Now, this is where it gets a little fun. When it gets down to two players, because after we get through the five-minute uh, qualifying round, the speed round, we go into Can't Stop the Quiz. I can't stop the quiz. There's a new category board of 10 answers. But this time, the contestant gets to pick a category, and then they're given the topic. For instance, um, U.S. presidents uh, who were vice presidents before it. Or uh, countries that start with the letter T. Or uh, Mario Kart 64 characters. Whatever happens. The contestants then get to play Can't Stop the Quiz. A category is given, and they have to list off so many things from that board. Uh, it is valued at still $100 per correct answer, but you basically can have nonstop money. So if there's hundreds of answers, you could win thousands and thousands. This is kind of a natural flaw in the game, but it's not necessarily a game changer. Because you see, if they screw up once, they give an incorrect answer, something that's not on the list, their round ends and their Essentially, that's it with the category. After all 10 categories have been depleted, whoever has the highest score gets to flip the iconic gold coin, where it is you get to uh, say it or you can play it. Uh, say it essentially is pyramid. They sit on a chair together. They can't use their hands, but they have to explain people, places, or things to their partner that they have brought onto the show. If it's play it, they have to basically do kind of that, but with charades, 
which is kind of fun because it's one of the rare game shows where charades has kind of been a long-lasting format. So you, you, if you don't really know trivia that well, the big catch-up bonus round that's the winner-take-all is essentially pyramid or charades. And to me, I kind of love that that's kind of the big in-game because it kind of shows how optimistic the show is. Now, whoever has the most money at the end of the Say It round, because they each get three minutes on the clock, each correct answers were $500 this time, which means big, big money, and it's kind of a bullshit catch-up round, but that's beside the point. Keeps the cash, and they get to come back tomorrow as a returning champion and do it all again. Terry stands on his iconic X and says, I'll see you next time, and we can't stop the quiz. And just, to me, it's such a great little show. Uh, it has been going on for about 30 years at this point and has no chance of stopping at this point. Uh, the one thing that I remember as a fun piece of trivia is that uh, Terry never wears the same bow tie twice. In fact, at the end of every show, he takes the bow tie and he uh, tapes it into the studio. So if you enter the Can't Stop the Quiz studio space, you can see basically rows and rows and rows of bow ties. Of course, this is not a real game show. This is, in fact, a fictional game show in the uh, Hulu movie Quiz Lady. Uh, Quiz Lady is essentially a comedy uh, that is about a lady named uh, Anne, uh, who is this uh, who is this uh, obsessed with this one game show. Uh, the best way to describe it. Uh, Jenny, who's played by Sandra O, oh, is this theatrical older sister who is outlandish and tries to get the attention away from the little kid. But the little kid's quiet and he and, and she just loves trivia. And she's just been a, basically kind of like in a, I would hate to say a sheltered home, but in a broken family. Uh, single mom. And all that she has to cope is game shows. Which is kind of kind of weird when you think about it, because it's kind of like hitting close to home here. But that's beside the point. Uh, so uh, she grows up idolizing this one game show, but she can't really kind of express herself. Meanwhile, uh, Jenny Sandra O oh, wants to be an actress. She goes to Hollywood and bus. She busts and she doesn't want to go back. The mom uh, ends up going a little, uh, get, gets into a, a nursing home and becomes so mean and also rude, but she passes away. Uh, and uh, essentially, to make some money for funeral costs and expenses, uh, they finally decide to put her on uh, the game show, Can't Stop the Quiz. It's kind of what a real game show would be where there's an audition process and you have to talk and there's little gimmicks like that. But much like every fucking sitcom plot out there, Can't Stop the Quiz is, is apparently filmed and recorded, shown live to everybody. So when it came to the final third act, oh, that's my friend on Can't Stop the Quiz. Oh, yeah, that's my friend over there. And it's... It's not live. Most game shows are recording multiple episodes a day. So I'm a little confused how they would show an episode live like that. Especially when they kind of referenced that early on in the movie. Anyway, uh, besides that one plot point hiccup, um, 
It's a very, very thought out uh, a show. Uh, essentially, it is about someone's placement in the world. It's about uh, family, obviously. And it is about uh, essentially hope. It's a hope movie. Um, and Will Ferrell plays Terry McNear, who is kind of an Alex Trebek type. Um, where we get to see, uh, yeah, which is funny because Will Ferrell is famous for playing Alex Trebek in Saturday Night Live, but this version of his Alex Trebek type is not the, the condescending prick one. It's the, I'm fascinated by life and I want to give back and, oh, I'm, I love everybody kind of hoorah. And the best part in Quiz Lady is at the midpoint in the, um, uh, in the in the third act when uh Anne's obviously a contestant but she's not scoring very well and she's scared that she's not going to be back and she's failed and all of this was for nothing because obviously whoever has the highest points as to the rules of the game keeps the cash and goes on and will gets to say gets this big monologue and it's kind of i would say the most emotional beat in the in the uh, movie uh also, there's a lot of really bad jokes because it's a road trip movie, and there's a dog named Mr. Linguini, and there is the brain, played by Phil Lamar, who's kind of supposed to be playing like a chaser kind of player, who's like a brainy quiz guy, uh, who, who used to be a contestant on the show, and then lost, so he, he feels down on his luck, it just, it, 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 there's a whole lot of that kind of thing. As far as a comedy, it's it's okay. I think Aquafina is fantastic and Sandro is funny. I think their dynamic is good. But most people will think it's a Jenny being wacky kind of movie because that's what the trailers have shown. But it's really more of about Anne. It's, it's more of Anne's story. And uh, I would say that she's also very <laughs> funny and has a few clips in it. Um, and that being said, uh, the thing that made me cry the most, um, was that at the end, and I'll spoil this, uh, they bring for a lady named Francine who wants to be an actress too and never got the chance. So she became essentially, and chose her over Jenny to be the partner. And, uh, she wanted to meet... Uh, one of the crushes, which I believe I forgot what it was in the movie. It was supposed to be like, I was going to say Tom Selleck, but I don't think it's Tom Selleck. And it's Paul Rubens at the end. And Paul Rubens makes, I think, one of his final cameos in movies in this. And when I saw Paul Rubens, I fucking had it. Uh, that was the moment that made me cry the most. Not the kid growing up with game shows, and you can parallel that. Not the uh, happy ending or a Terry's monologue. It was Paul Rubens, of all people. And to me, that was kind of an emotional beat. I don't normally want to review movies on this show because, oh God, now does this mean I have to fucking talk about the Gong Show movie? Do I have to fucking talk about, um, what was it, Not The Late Shift? That's not really a game show, but yeah. I'll have to talk about... Uh, you don't know Jack and Jackbox Party Pack? I mean, I kind of do already. But to me, it's a very emotional movie and a very fun movie. Um, to me, I, I think it, it's it's 
it's a uh, it's going to be one of those movies that I don't think a lot of people will really care for now. But in a few years time, it'll get a cult classic. I think the game show world will probably find more fun in Quiz Lady than most because a few of its uh, deep cuts in the world of game shows. But other than that, it's just fine. Uh, I, I, to me, the only thing that took me out of it was, of course, it being live and also uh, the rules of Can't Stop the Quiz making it a bullshit tiebreaker at the end. But hey, that's game shows for you these days. Anyway, that's that's my review of Quiz Lady. I thought it was fine. All right, so now let's get into some nitty-gritty fun. Uh, so, uh, Wheel of Fortune. Uh, it's coming back in the UK as well as Jeopardy. Jeopardy is, I believe, the New Year's Day in on ITV, hosted uh, by Stephen Fry. It looks like it's going to be the same Jeopardy we know and love here in America, but with low values, and it's... Uh, a regular Jeopardy, a regular Jeopardy, and then a double Jeopardy, followed by a final. We'll see how that that gels. It it could happen. We don't really know. Uh, also, there is a new version of Wheel of Fortune with Graham Norton. Apparently, it's going to be more like the. I'm gonna. It's not going to be like an American. It's going to be somewhat like American mixed with European, where it's uh, the logo of America, probably the same theme package. Uh, but there's uh, like an audience out front and instead of we're looking for a person, place, thing, living, thing, what are you doing? It is more clue based, like something you shouldn't say to a waiter or something like that. Um, and it's, 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 it's going to be more, you spend the wheel, collect the money, all that good stuff. There's prizes, there's prize puzzles, all that good stuff. And of course, the final wheel with the RSTLNE. We all know how that works. Uh, it looks like a lot of fun. I can't wait to see how that goes later on this year, because I think it's fun that Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune have kind of went over to America, uh, from America to the UK. Same with Password. Uh, Pyramid had a pilot earlier this year, so it's good to see like some of these American game shows make their way to the UK instead of vice versa. It feels like there's a big switcheroo moment with game shows, and I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, here in America, there is a new game show called Blank Slate, hosted by Mario Lopez. Uh, essentially, according to uh, the affiliation link, which I can now read, <clears throat> sorry, H-Bomb, I'm reading an affiliate link. This is It's not plagiarism. I'm crediting the press release. I'm reading it out loud because this is an audio podcast, and I'm putting words. <clears throat> Based on the board game by USAopoly and in the comedic game show format, Blank Slate is a fun and funny game show where thinking alike in the form of matching answers to to clever fill-in-the-blank questions can win you big bucks. Probably $10,000. Each team of two friends will be paired with a comedian guest. Ooh, I hope it's someone from the Laugh Factory. And the teams accumulate points by matching their teammates with a bonus if any player matches America's top answer. Wait, what? The celebrities switch teams in round two, and in round three, the trailing team picks the comedian partner they believe will help them win. The comedian team, uh, the winning team moves on to the bonus round where they can pick a comedian to match on each question. If the team gets three matches, they walk away with $10,000. See, there you go. I was right. 10000 Big money. 
Blank Slate is a game show Enterprises Studios production with Renee Lamont serving as executive producer, Richard Garretts, and Laura Robinson also serve as EPs for Heath Street Media Inc. Well, actually, I, I, I'm... I don't really know those three in general, but I, I'm sure they're lovely folks. Um, it's always weird when I know people who are the EPs on these shows. Um, so Blank Slate, it's, it's just match game. It's match game without the uh, the dirty double entendres. It, it's just the head-to-head -head match as a show. Uh, and it feels like they're going for the original match game idea, which is kind of nice in some way. They're, they're also keeping with the spirit of America's guess, I'm guessing, as like an audience match situation, so there's a second chance to get points that way. Uh, I, I think it might be funny. It might be, I mean, it's based on a board game, and I and that is kind of the current trend in uh, American game shows is to take these board games and syndicate them. Uh, 25 words or less, Pictionary, Blank Slate, I guess. There's no People Puzzle board game, but there is, you know, the magazines and People Magazine having the crossword puzzles in there. Uh, so so it, it's going to be kind of interesting. Additionally, GSN does have Beat the Bridge on the way, and apparently they recorded a hundred episodes. That That's a big, t tall order for a game show in its first season. So that's telling me... Something that I, I want to... I, I don't want to go right into the let's go into the discussion plan about game shows here. But it sounds to me like they're really trying to make that 100 episode deal so they can syndicate this out, replay it over and over, and you're good. Uh, which is kind of the way things are handled in terms of television syndication. So my brain is telling me they're going to use those Beat the Bridge episodes to either try and sell the syndication and make extra money... Or they're going to do what I think is the plan of attack here and sell that to a fast channel like Pluto TV, Tubi, whatever. So you have those game show episodes that are new lined up to watch uh, because that's the way a lot of these syndications are kind of heading is syndicate the shows into a fast channel because there's always a need for new episodes. You can't really... Uh, have old news footage on there, so you're going to treat it as like a syndication. And because it's already pre-recorded, you have all these episodes in the docket. You can load them out, unload them, etc., which is a very smart idea. So I think that's kind of the concept they might be heading with a lot of these game shows lined up. Expect more taller orders, more hundred episode orders like Beat the Bridge, maybe even Blank Slate. I don't know about what happened to Ridiculous, but we'll see. And it's just going to be some sort of um, business standpoint of how are they going to return their profits on this show is syndication markets and, of course, putting it online. Online could be YouTube, kind of like what they're doing with 25 Words or Less and Pictionary and uh, Person, Place, or Thing, or I think a fast channel. I think they're going to try and make a fast channel out of this so they can make some money. Uh, but that, that looks like a lot of fun. I, it's very interesting to see where game shows are heading in the digital space. Uh, but for right now, it's time that we talk about streaming. Uh, the big heading thing on streaming is not to base things off board games. It's to base things off intellectual property. 
especially Emmy-winning dramas where South Korean people get murdered playing preschool games. This is Squid Game, The Challenge. Squid Games colon The Challenge is the reality show spinoff of Squid Games, the Emmy-winning drama uh, in South Korea, uh, where uh, Donald and his luck guy basically gets kidnapped and has to play uh, childish games to win 456 million won. Of course, we take a lot of those premises and we just say, eh, and we turn it into an American reality show. Well, British contestants, Australian contestants, basically people all over the world because Netflix is global now, and have 456 people uh, volunteer to play the same childish games from Squid Games for a chance to win $4.56 million. That's a really hefty price tag, $4.56 million. There are shows, and we talked about them today with Deal or No Deal UK, which have no budget, essentially. And they have to make do uh, with a hundred thousand pounds. And here's a show that throws millions at one person for basically playing a battle royale. About two years ago, Mr. Beast uploaded his Squid Games video with 456 uh, of his uh, viewing audience playing the Squid Games challenges to win $456,000. Obviously, this is uh, ten times that amount, uh, mathematically speaking. But also, just as since as severe. Because this time around, <clears throat> the Squid Games is kind of turned into a reality show in itself. Because in between the Squid Games, there is quote-unquote tests. So it's a test in a Squid Game. A test in a Squid Game. It, it, I really shouldn't call it a Squid Game because Squid Game is actually a game in South Korea. It's a long story. See, Squid Game is called Squid Game because it's, it's a... It's a bit of a pun because of squids and how you have to like shift and, and do I have to explain squid, um, bio, what's it called? Biology, bio, uh, humanology, the, the, the way their sociology of, of squids in their ecosystems. And that's, and it's a play on that in squid game. In addition to the final round being a squid game. Now, it, it, they're calling it Squid Games in this show, even though it should just be called Games or Challenges or something, because it is Squid Game The Challenge. Um, but it's it's okay. Now, the test element is basically a reality show. It's a you can eliminate anyone you see in the audience. and you, Well, not the audience, in the, in the contestant pool left. You must pair up. Whoever doesn't pair up is limited. Things like that get get thrown around. So now it's much like Squid Game, the TV show. Uh, you have to build bonds and you have to actually build relationships. And then, of course, in the Squid Game itself, then you're basically sabotaging said relationships and trust exercises. Uh, so it, it becomes a very interesting concept. Uh, when I first saw it, I went... Like everyone else, oh, they're just fucking up the whole uh, premise of Squid Games. They're just throwing it. They're ignoring the anti-capitalist message, the anti-reality show message, what television does, what what uh, throwing shitloads of money it does to human societies in general. Uh, 
And we're basically playing the role of the billionaire elite class in Squid Game, watching on and cheering, kind of like Hunger Games. I, I mean, remember when when they did Capture on the CW, and that was like their take on a uh, Hunger Games with pairs, and they get to play and tag, and then they get eliminated. And we're supposed to cheer. It, like that was like real life Hunger Games. This is a real life Squid Game, and they actually have the branding to it. So. The first episode, I, the red light, green light game, I, I feel like that's always like the one they always want to show off. Um, but going into it and actually still watching, I've actually found more enjoyment watching the show as it progressed. Uh, because you get to know more about the players. Obviously, there's the confessionals that they do. Uh, the black, uh, what's the black mask character in Squid Game? He's not in it. The host is a, a pink soldier with a square mask, and I don't know why. Uh, he is the host of Squid Games. And then there's like a voice going, number 424, eliminated. And you're, you're just sort of like, oh, so who's, I don't, I don't get it, but I do get it, but not really. Um, they get rid of the gore. Squid Game is a very gory kind of, uh, tr it's a thriller, essentially. Uh, so instead of when, then when they get shot, there's blood and like mouth covered in goo, uh, there is ink, ink blood, which is kind of cute because squid, squid ink. So they get squibbed out with ink and then they have to play dead, which I find very funny. One of my favorite guilty pleasures of the first run of the shows is a lot of these people having to play dead when they get shot and they're just like, uh, some are just like very slowly just. Eh, fall down, take a nap, I'm done, and they don't give a shit. Others are over-dramatic going, oh! <laughs> I just found myself busting out laughing. When it gets into the midpoint of it, 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 you get to see, like, I think it's less than 100 is when the game starts to actually feel like, okay, we have our characters in place, and in our third act, we have our final three, and that's when it's going to get more real cutthroat. And that's actually kind of where the show, I think, really does kind of shine in the villainous aspect of Squid Games. Because uh, when it's three going to two, going to one, uh, obviously one has to win. But they're going to go through, but they go through two episodes to eliminate two people. Uh, so you, you start to really see the uh, levity of the game. Uh Obviously, some of the, the tone of the show is a little scattered when it comes to Squid Games, but uh, I actually found myself liking it. I actually did enjoy enjoying Squid Games, the challenge uh, compared to a lot of shows. My hot take, if I have to say, because you have to do a hot take on the internet sometimes, is this: if this show did not have the Squid Games IP attached to it, it would have flopped. You could have said we threw a hundred people and we play different challenges each week till one's out, like physical one hundred. No one would fucking watch it. But you throw Squid Games in four hundred fifty six players. Yeah, people are going to start playing, and for four point five six million dollars, that's a shitload of money compared to Survivor. I think that's the biggest cash prize in reality shows. If I'm not mistaken, I think that that is the. I think that's even more than what they gave away on Million Second Quiz. So for a game show, that's that's a heavy duty. Of course, you can win 10 million pounds on Power of 10, or The Wall says we can give away 14 million. But for $4.56 million, 
basically in games of luck, like rock, paper, scissors, uh, games of skill, and, uh, and also Battleship. The thing that they did was they changed Tug of War to Battleship, and I was kind of excited about that. And because I, I like the idea that they're, they're going to try different challenges, not just go through the entire Squid Game, do the Honeycomb game, and do the Glass Bridge. Now, the big controversy is the hypothermia that people have gotten in Red Light, Green Light. Apparently, uh, the producers lied to the audience, and it wasn't a five-minute challenge. It was like a 30-minute challenge, like a three-hour challenge, where at certain times, people would be like in the middle of a split, and then red light, and they're stuck. So they have to hold their stretch for, for like 10 minutes, and they're in pain. And of course, they fall, and then, oh, you're eliminated. Uh, and it was in a really winty winter part of, I think, January in the UK. There was no space heaters because obviously you can't heat these people up in the middle of a challenge uh, because then there's like, why is there heaters all over the place? Uh, so the, the, I could see the point, but also I'm pretty sure they have an ironclad contract that says, hey, uh, you won't hold harmless uh, Studio Lampert. Which also makes it very, very funny when um, you read about, like, well, they didn't have lip balm, so they used condoms on their lips. And uh, so then the production team gave lip balm to the people. Uh, and then it keeps going, like, food. They added, like, extra food showing up. Uh, another story is basically anything that's in the... Uh, what I've learned is anything that's about the human part of... Squid Games, the production side didn't really think of human safety <laughs> that much because obviously they're just thinking about the challenges and the production because it's a fucking game show. But they didn't think, oh, right, they have to eat. <laughs> or, oh, yeah, it's going to be cold. And so so then when they do that all right, they have to go through finance and they have to probably get like a bunch of approvals before they get the shit. Uh, which kind of sucks, but what that tells me is if they do a season two, they already have all of this knowledge of what not to do. These are all production errors that they'll probably have a heater in the next time they do red light, green light, and I'll probably have lip balm for everybody who survives the first challenge. And I'll probably like have different ways of presenting the game faster or smoother than that. The funniest thing is the glass bridge, apparently. None of the contestants fell on the glass bridge. They had stunt doubles. <laughs> they had to get people to do stunts to fall down a trap door, something that has been done in game shows like Love Trap and Russian Roulette and 101 Ways to Leave a Game Show. No. No who's still standing trap door fall for you. No, no, no. You get the thrill of seeing someone else fall in your behalf, which I think is very funny because they put so much safety in the game aspect of falling into like a net, which is something that like contestants on Ellen's game of games had to deal with, but not in something as minuscule as maybe it gets cold. You get hypothermia in chapped lips. That's just to be fair. Fucking funny. <laughs> But yeah, so so a lot of the production snafu, it I would say, yeah, they're blowing into a big deal, but I would also say that's a production snafu. 
uh, obviously whoever made, I think it was Studio Lampert, uh, they needed to do a better job of figuring out like production needs in terms of living abilities and hospitalities. Uh, and in addition, they tried to throw shitloads of money at a game. It's basically a mixed review at this moment, but I would say it's good. I'm on the four side of things. Um, I think if they didn't have the IP of Squid Games, it would have flopped. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, <laughs> so, essentially, um, I actually enjoyed uh, the Squid Games Challenge. I do recommend people watch uh, Squid Games The Challenge. Uh, I think the problem is it, it's like every other show. It's like, well, the first episode is okay, but it gets really good in the midpoint. And I will say this is one of the rare shows you should not do the classic Netflix or any streaming media reality show where you watch the first episode and watch the last episode to see who wins. No, no, no. There are certain challenges that I thought were really good. Uh, Circle of Trust, which is the penult, like not the penultimate, like I think it's the third to last episode. That is one of my favorite uh, challenges because it's basically a like the traitors. You, you sneak up to try and eliminate somebody but they have to figure out who gave them the elimination box, and if they're correct, uh, that person gets eliminated. So it's kind of like um, it, it has this bit of um, theatrics attached to it. Uh, additionally, you get emotional moments. Uh, there's one where a mother and son participate together as a team, and of course they fuck up and play marbles against each other, so there's that heartfelt moment of, oh god, I have to eliminate my son, and no shit, eliminate my mom, I don't want to say goodbye. That was my <laughs> strategy going in. And there's a bit of heartfelt moments in that show. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, what, what, I, what I get at is, a lot of these shows that are IP, we, we talked 007 recently, and it's very Bond, very, like, in joke bond with the props uh you, you get the mission you get the question you get the mission you get the question on squid games it's you get a test you get the game you get the test you get the game uh, and it, it sort of feels natural for netflix it feels natural for prime video these shows definitely fit and i could see them recovering i think for a sequel they should really um I know they're probably going to do some of the challenges from season two of Squid Games, but I would love it if they tried to branch out slightly uh, and go into more playful. I want more silly. I want more. I want it to be more of that kind of like arc, like like one moment they have to pick, like draw numbers to figure out who it is. So they play a crane machine. And I love that. Well, 007 goes into the reality show Oh No Snakes and Spiders approach. Squid Game's doing the opposite, I thought was a big thumbs up. I thought that makes it more uh, palatable for everybody watching. Um, and it makes for a more enjoyable format. Even if they do the Squid Game exploding, I, I, I think that's that's it's not as gory and it's very silly. I, I think that's more uh, viewable for more audiences in the grand scheme of games compared to the real Squid Game show, which is real, absolutely real. Um, but yes, I do check out Squid Game's The Challenge. I found it very exciting. The finale is very, very sentimentally sad, I would say, um, but do check it out. I, I, I actually enjoyed it. Squid Game is going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I enjoyed it. They're already casting for season two. 
I will spoil it. It's very funny when I said Rock, Paper, Scissors is for $4.56 million because it was. Uh, and I, I want to have a little uh, side talk about a lot of the controversies that were hitting the show. The Squid Game is hypothermia. Yeah, I'm sure that was actually probably a production snafu because they weren't expecting uh, filming in the wintertime in the UK to be so fucking cold when you're recording a show for long periods of time. I think that's a big snafu in the production, obviously. Uh, additionally, uh, things like the... Um, uh, uh, the lip balm. I think that's a production aspect because they weren't really aware of the production. Like, oh dear, we didn't realize putting people in a dry area with hot blazing lights for long periods of time might chap their fucking lips. And so I, I think for a season two, they're going to learn from their mistakes and probably fix a lot of the hospitality parts of the show that has been making the rounds. Additionally... A lot of the challenges this time were not, you know, tug of war and not this. And they made a documentary called The Making Of, which I, I think is people should watch that. I, I'm actually going to go out of my way. Folks, watch The Making of Squid Games The Challenge. It will do me a whole lot of favors because it helps me out with trying to explain why I love game shows so much. They have this great set design, great costume design, great uh, challenge producers that go into every challenge and why things were certain ways, what they had to test, why the, the cookie game had to be certain ways. It's fantastic. It, it's, to me, does a great job of showing what reality game shows really are. It's not, it's not reality television. It's a competition show. It's a game show. It's a game show themed around Squid Games. And they do a great job of presenting why it works, and I love it so much. However, it, 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 it does follow the protocol of, well, it's like Big Brother in a lot of the reality competition shows. You can't just get the strongest people and do strong competitions because that's not fair and equal to everybody. So a lot of the games were chance-based, which is kind of par for the course. Uh, a lot of reality television shows are kind of that way. It's all luck or it's uh, endurance. Uh, sometimes it's a bit of skill, like the cookie game. So it tells me that probably next season they'll do an operation game, probably that little wire game, uh, ski ball, something that's more skill-based, not physical-based, and... A luck-based, but not physical or intelligence-based. There's no trivia. There's no... You don't... That's the problem with a lot of reality shows like this, is you're not judging people on who's the strongest and who's the smartest. You want everyone to have an equal playing field. That's why I love game shows like um, the Krypton Factor, because they are not afraid to make a physical challenge show and a quiz show at the same time. You can be the, the biggest jock and then still lose because you're a big dumb idiot. It, it works in so many fucking levels. Uh, the, the, when something like this happens, it's like, well, it's trying to be squid games. They're trying to be more childish in its presentation. It makes sense. You're trying to go prison, guard, dystopian future, hunger game style. It makes sense. Um, I, I do, however, think that there's a lot that needs to work on. 
But Netflix doesn't care because they already are selling uh, Trust, a game of greed, uh, for next year, which is like The Mole or any of these other reality shows. But on Game of Greed, uh, there's a trust with 11 names on it, and you can all walk away uh, and split the money evenly, but you can betray everybody, vote them out, sabotage their game, and take money for yourself. So it's kind of like that one aspect that you remember from the hero. It's... I, I just don't know how to really feel <laughs> currently when it comes to uh, a show like that. But uh, it's going to be okay. If it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of The Mole. It's The Mole, it, complete with string instruments in the trailer, having a news reader journalist as the host, and having moments where a group of people are told someone sabotaged the game and they get pissed off like it's this it's the mole but not the mole and can't be the mole because there's no interceptor kind of aspect to it streaming reality shows are kind of good and bad because obviously people watch the first episode they watch the last episode and they don't really watch the in-betweens unless they really care about the journey uh, some of the shows on Netflix, like The Circle, are big hits. Too Hot to Handle, I heard, is a cult favorite. Uh, what's that other one that people like? Not Floor is Lava. The um, Love is Blind. They, they like things like that. But they also like Bake Off. And it's weird, because the American version of Bake Off is on the Hulu channel. But Zach Cherry is one of my favorite people of all time, so I'm glad he's hosting it. Anyway, that's over on Netflix, but over... On, a, in, on Amazon, get ready for 007 Road to a Million. my break i got to see a brand new game show called 007 colon road to a million it is hosted by brian cox who plays a character known as the controller uh, essentially nine contestants who are all pairs uh, have to go through james bond style missions to retrieve a briefcase that contains a trivia question to which they earn money uh, the, fur the harder the questions get, and so does the challenges as the game progresses. Now, unlike, say, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where one wrong answer means you lose money and you go down to a safety net, on 007 Road to a Million, you are guaranteed that money banked with each pressing question. The first question's for 5000 then 10000 then 25000 then 50000 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, 500,000, 
750 and then $1 million. Uh, so there's 10 questions. If you get it wrong, you just go to where you were. You fail a mission, you just stay at where you were. So there is a bit of intrigue. Now, the challenges themselves, they vary. Uh, I would say some are timed challenges. You've got to find this one place in this busy city in three hours. Uh, you have to find this one boat in the sea of boats and this, the, or oh no, snakes and spiders, because oh no, snakes and spiders. There's a spider, there's a boa constrictor, there's a snake pit, there's a crocodile, there's piranhas. Or, as is typically the case with a lot of these James Bond style challenges, a fear of heights challenge, because oh no, you are uh, essentially on a very high Plymouth. So there's a very high crane. Go on top of the crane and retrieve the case on top of the crane. Uh, or I think it was Spectre? What was the, one of the more recent ones? The one that was with the ski resort where uh, the, the big uh, ski lift stops. So James Bond has to like get on top of the ski lift and it shakes. They recreate that uh, moment in James in this in this game show. And then, of course, there's Bond props like uh, this, uh, the Aston Martin is shown, the roll like uh, martinis that are shaken, and um, uh, what was it? Uh, Lockjaw. There's references to Lockjaw, there's references to Dr. No. Uh, certain locations are kind of exactly where they were in certain James Bond movies. So there's little hints and pieces of James Bond all over the place in this. A lot of the reviews have kind of said, there's not a lot of James Bond in this. I want James Bond. But it's a lot of, uh, fl I would say, flirty with James Bond. It's not fully James Bond, other than the James Bond theme. And the pretty much each question requires you to go on a mission to retrieve the case to answer the question. Just because you complete the challenge does not mean you win the money. Uh, it doesn't mean the money is and your money is safe in the last round. It just means everything's banked. Um, Brian Cox plays the host who has like a little notepad that shows the names of players. So when they get a question wrong, uh, they get taken off the like the control room and their name is scribbled off. And Brian makes some sort of like mean reference. Uh, the questions on the show, range from easy to somewhat challenging, but not in a way that's really, really difficult, I would say. Um, it, it's kind of, I would say the bet, the biggest strength of this, of this game is the presentation of the questions. You are sitting in the famous locks of Scotland, once owned by the royalties of certain Scottish families. What were the name of these Scottish families? Is it A, clans, B, uh, familias, or C? And, and just, and that's your kind of questions. Uh, so they're very simple. Or you are sitting in Venice, and it's usually the biggest uh, vacation spot in all of Italy, with more visitors than any other port of Italy. Approximately how many visitors visit Venice, Italy every year? 20 million, 40 million, 80 million, and that's your, your kind of questions. Or, and it's sometimes clever, 
there's a boa constrictor. How long is this boa constrictor? Or here's a tarantula. How, approximately how much does this tarantula weigh? So there has to be some sort of level thinking where they can actually solve it through sort of visual uh, operations, which are my favorite kind of questions in this game. Uh, my favorite questions in 007 Road to a Million are the ones that I would say require a little, not lateral thinking, but require a bit of, I would say, James Bond spy intelligence research and, and opposition, where some of the questions are basically, if you were paying attention to the journey going in there, you should actually have an upper hand in figuring it out. To me, that was kind of the best parts of the show. Uh, the visuals, to me, are one of the best for this game show because it is essentially trying to be a spy movie. So very beautiful cinematography, very beautiful close-ups and reaction shots that if it wasn't, I, if it wasn't, I would assume they did multiple takes, I would assume. Um, but if, if it was just one and dones, that would be twice as much impressive uh, because it is visually stunning. The only problems I have with the show, uh, one, they change it up a bit in the final rounds. I'm not going to spoil it because I think you should definitely watch it. It's a four out of five show, but they change the gimmick up near the end and it ends on such a downer level and the editing uh, kind of skips some of the players. So while everybody's like, I guess because they all start in Scotland um, because I think that is where James Bond is from or some sort of like history of, of the James Bond lore. Um, so they wanted to have like a James Bond origin story situation. Uh, it, it became this sort of like, oh, here's this couple and they're on question four already. But we never really got to meet them at this point And we kind of skipped over three questions. And that means few challenges along the way. Uh, so you only get to see them do the challenge for me like five seconds. And it just, to me, that was kind of a letdown. I kind of would rather have it be each episode has its own origin story or has its own new intro place. Like maybe the first challenge is where they are from, whoever these people are in the UK. The second one is something at a landmark near their area or nearby. And then you get into the amped up. They go around the world and do a James Bond challenge. Um, I think the fact that near the end, everyone's doing the same sort of challenge too, where everyone's doing the casino and doing the skiing and all. It just, I also felt like that was kind of a, I, I it felt like, oh, everyone has to do it probably because adjudication of what's fair for one should be fair for the other. But it just... It, it fell flat to me. To me, those were kind of the moments where it's like we didn't really get to know much about certain contestants and others. Uh, the challenges are kind of the same. So just uh, I would r rather have had been like each episode is one person. And then if they fail, you just cut to the next player and we just keep going. Um. So it just becomes kind of like a you get to see like 10 different stories or so. Uh, also, having it be nine couples instead of 10 is very weird to me. I don't know the uh, why nine. It's a, if you're even going to do double seven, it should be seven, right? Um, so maybe they were going to have 10, but one bowed out or something. Um, but it 
It's sort of, to me, those were kind of the hiccups. Also, Brian Cox's character in the 007 Road to a Million, it feels like at first he's kind of like an, an MI6 intelligence agent. Like, I, you don't know who I am, but do this. But near like the halfway point, he goes like, are you sure you want to do this? And he starts getting pissed off at the contestants succeeding that I assume they were going to try and go for like he's the Bond villain all along. And you're supposed to have this big twist where at the million dollar question, I don't want you to win the million. I want you to die kind of situation. We don't get that payoff as much as I would love it. And, and I think like th that's the only problem is. I, I love Brian Cox. I think he's one of the best actors uh, in the world currently, not just in succession and not just for his delicious McDonald's advertisements, but just the fact that he has this way of, I would say, understanding his 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 characters. When he plays a character, he knows when he can be a villain, an asshole, or just a side character uh, vulnerable. He, he's a master actor. So for him doing this is kind of silly, but at the same time, I kind of have it the same. I, the best way to describe it, it reminds me of Crystal Maze and Richard O'Brien getting that gig. It's like, he shouldn't have this. He's a well-known actor at this point. Um, but it, it, to me, it feels, it feels okay. I think the, uh, the, the, the values are kind of weird, especially when it gets to two hundred thousand for three hundred thousand, but it's a freebie, and five hundred thousand to seven fifty, but again a freebie. Uh, it 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 just to me it feels like they they have it feels like they had an idea in mind, then someone came in to switch the format out, and then they came out with this, which is a little better, but also still fumbles in certain regards. Um. I think if you're a James Bond fan, you'll be mixed because you would want more James Bond. You would want like a villain. You would want a James Bond. And because these are two people and not a James Bond, uh, you're kind of weirded out. And there is no like Bond girl. There is there is no sort of situation to mix it more like a James Bond movie than you want. It really is just like, hey... You are in Chile. Go to this place. Also, your question is right here on the TV. And some of the questions when they reveal it, and it's like, instead of the case, it's like three tapes or three works. The pacing is also a little off because when they select an answer, sometimes what happens is, is like, for 25,000 pounds, you have selected answer A. That answer is, and then there's a big pause, a big pause, still a pause, still a pause. There's still a dramatic music, so you're going to do, 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 correct. Yeah. To me, that's kind of, those kind of moments happen. I understand why they want to build drama, but again, here's a big problem with having dramatic pauses in trivia questions like that is, when you do a big pause like that and you know the answer, it kills you. You kind of go, it's fucking right. You just skip ahead like 20 seconds. And if you know it's wrong, well, it's, we know he's wrong. You just move on. And it just, to me, that's kind of the downer. 
I do like, however, some of the reveals that they have. Like, for one, I will spoil this. This is, like, midpoint. Uh, someone gives a question, and then they lock in, I think, B. Then they go outside. Your answer is waiting outside. A helicopter fucking flies down at them. You selected B. That answer is... And you're hearing... From the helicopter. Correct! <laughs> it's so funny. To me, it's a little over the top. It's still campy and fun. To me, I think that's kind of what they were aiming for for this kind of show. They wanted a bit of that 70s campy James Bond uh, and some of that, uh, I would say, I would say, because there's always this level of fun with James Bond. I, it, there's danger, there's mystery, there's intrigue, but that's kind of what you love in a Bond film. And they tried to capture that into a game show. That part works. But certain areas, when it comes to the game, just sort of hiccup to me. Uh, and to me, that's why I can't give it full marks. But I do recommend people watch it. It is, to me, one of the biggest surprising game shows currently on the air please go see it it's available right now 007 road to a million i hope there's a series two in the works i i, I like it i think they could really do more um i think the whole bond aspect as a theme is just one of my favorite kind of concepts because i love genre breaking game shows i love when game shows try to not be in studio and try to present itself as like a a little movie and they did a good job on that um they could have done better, but hey, now Brian Cox is selling me a McRib, and from what I'm hearing, the McRib is back for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Anyway, uh, Amazon, in terms of their reality show offerings, is more of LOL Laugh Out Loud, as well as coming soon, a American version of uh, the 1% Club. Now, their version of 1% Club is going to be on Amazon. It's going to be the same logic puzzles. But instead of Lee Mack hosting uh, or Jim Jeffries, if it's Australia, it is going to be Wanda Sykes. And I'm excited because I do enjoy Wanda Sykes. I've always wanted to see her play a role of a game show host. I don't know if this is the right fit for her. But it's going to be very funny, and I think that's kind of what you kind of want in a show that's very dry and dull, like logic puzzles. Um, but it, it it should be fun. To me, Amazon's also trying to take some risk here. Uh, Laugh Out Loud Ireland is coming up soon with Bram Norton, um, but yet nothing on an American version. Still don't know why, but hey, 1% Club. And they also did Takeshi's Castle earlier this year, so... I give them the method of the doubt. I, I still love when they're trying to make strategic plays. They're not doing the boys, the challenge. So I guess it's a good thing. Um, which leads me to uh, the main event of the evening, the, the the CM Punk at WrestleMania moment, the, 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 the big WrestleMania moment here. And that is, I get to reveal my favorite game show again. It's been a few years since I talked deal or no deal. To me, the UK version is one of the best game shows ever created because it gives you everything you want in a game show. Risk, reward, strategizing, mental game, that, that risk, reward aspect that you see in a lot of game shows like Millionaire, like Wheel of Fortune, even Jeopardy has that bit of stakes. This is a game show that's just about stakes. It's all about 
vibes, as it were. In the American version, I like Howie, but they really try to go over the top because that's what American game shows love to do. You can't just present the show as it is. You want to go fireworks ablazing, models going all over the place, dancing and singing. And this is a show that's very lowbrow, which I think kind of makes it more successful, at least in my opinion, because they go Monday through Friday. It's such an addictive game. You want to come back tomorrow to watch. And there's because it's uh, it's such a rarity to get that cash prize, that big top prize, you can kind of afford to do it every day. Um, you can't afford to give away a million dollars every episode, obviously. Um, but you can kind of go for a quarter million, which is a huge sum of money. Or in the case of the new version, a hundred thousand pounds. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Steal or no deal from ITV. All right, so this is the Deal or No Deal part of the episode. Now, everyone knows I love Deal or No Deal. It's one of my favorite game shows of all time, so I'm really glad when it returned. Uh, however, I have mixed feelings about this reboot, and I will uh, just say I have recorded three separate reviews of Deal or No Deal. Currently, uh, one was very negative, one was very mixed, and this one is very mixed as well. Um, but I want to be more prolific about it. It's not the Deal or No Deal UK that we remember with Noel Edmonds and uh, a cheeky little banker and all this other stuff where it's like a bright, sunshiny kind of loft apartment. It's it's now a fucking spaceship set. It's one thing that I kind of liked about Deal or No Deal was when everyone was still doing uh, millionaire-style spooky dark sets, here was a game show with a nice loft apartment feel that felt cozy and, like, you wanted to be there. Uh, secondarily, uh, it's a lot of darks and reds and blues, which kind of is just, eh, feels like a primetime game show, even though it airs at 4 p.m. So, it, to me, that also is, like, a big strike against the show. Uh, and third, even though we know we can't get Noel Edmonds anymore because he's currently being the most hated person in New Zealand, you get Stephen Mulhern, which is kind of cute. It's ITV, and they want to get one of their big presenters. Now, this is the mixed feelings. I like Stephen Mulhern, the host. I love catchphrase with him. I, I think he has this uh, elegance of him that, because he is a magician, that he can actually just kind of crowd work, which I think would be his strongest suit. However, he is no Noel Edmonds, and he's only sometimes good at the deal or no deal part of the show because it's the who are you and what do you do when Noel would have like all of these files and when a contestant would show up it would feel like a this is your life like hey this is a nurse who works for the NHS and oh you have two kids and you have a photo of your kids how lovely there's none of that which is just kind of a shame really because it it, it 
because Noel is kind of the first person who would say why this game is important and why each episode of Deal is different and why every game is different. Even if the board configuration is all the same, the people and the way how they play it is different. And that's why people tune in. That's why people really liked Deal or No Deal the first time around. It's that even though it's just picking boxes and numbers and guessing game, it's it's a humanities style show. It's it's it is a, it is a human drama entertainment show with huge numbers. Um, I can't wait for the funk plane to talk about that. <coughs> anyway, Mulhern is not the best at that. However. I would say he is still good at building stakes. Early episodes of Deal or No Deal, and this is where it shifted, he was very nervous because he was shouting whenever there was nervousness going into the box, and it, it just felt out of place. And I was not really comfortable. I was like, is is he like scared because this is like the first episodes and he's going to get compared to Noel? Because we know he can't be Noel. He can only be himself. But it's only in this like third week of shows that he's been recording that he's actually more comfortable and more relaxed. And I think if he keeps this up, he will be a pretty good host for the show. You want it to be a relaxing show. You don't want it to be a tense show, even when it comes to those banker offers. Because when, hello, Mr. Banker, oh, the offer's 4,000 pounds, deal or no deal, you, you don't want it to be the American version where it's, this is a huge sum of money, what do you do? You don't want to do that. You're playing for literally rent money. A big problem I have with the show is also, of course, the budget. Now, budgets make sense, obviously, um, because, uh, as we all know, uh, game shows, like every TV show, is losing their money because audiences are divided and they're going through all sorts of streaming services and uh tv advertising revenue is just not going up to warrant a quarter million pound prize so they dropped it to a hundred thousand i think that's very disappointing i would love to see a quarter million but if they have to keep it to a hundred grand i wish they would fix the board then because the quote-unquote red values which are the big values the ones you want to hit it's 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 7,500, 10,000, 25,000, 50,000, 7,500. When it's that 1,000 to 7,500, I feel uneasy, especially that 7,500 because there's 100 in this term. That tells me you could have adapted the board, maybe do 2,500. So it's 1,000, 25, 5, 7, 5. 10,000, and then go into 5,000s, 15, 20, 25, 50, 75, 100. But they didn't really go with that. Maybe because someone did crack the numbers and, oh, we can't afford to throw this much money around. But it just, it creates an anticlimactic board, in my opinion. Because Deal or No Deal, I don't know if you know this, the reason Deal or No Deal works is there's two games going on. It's the pick the random box game and hope you have a high value. Now, that's all luck. That is the the luck-based version of the show. That's half of deal or no deal is the you have to open up these values with C, the lows. That's why you watch deal or no deal also. It's the ladies, please, okay, show us the penny. 
same thing. That's the that's game one. The second half of the game is, of course, the offers. Hello, Mr. Banker. The offer is 2000 I will say this. I hate the banker. And I mean that not in a, oh, what a bad guy the banker is. Oh, who, who, what a villain. It's because the banker is too rehearsed and too, I wouldn't say predictable, but cheap and not real, not a vibe checker like every other banker. Because when I remember from the early deal, it was more improvisational and it was more like, well, we know that this guy's more of a gambler, so we should really make sure there's a higher value because we know that they will be second guessing it. And then we egg them on with lower values because that sunk cost fallacy. Oh, you have 8,000, 5,000. That's how they would play it. Or if it was someone who is really desperate and has a target, try and weasel that number so they could try and go, well, I can't give you 15,000, but I can give you 14,000, huh? And play into that kind of uh, deal making. Or if it's somebody that has hit a lot of reds in their time on the in the show, well, I feel like you might have actually still have a red in your box because you've been destroying other games, so I'm going to really want you out or uh, otherwise low values well i shouldn't really care for your game so i'm offering you low values there's a lot of vibe checks that goes on on deal or no deal when it was the original version this one is straight up well the median divided by 10 by 5 by so, so y you can pretty much guess okay it's a 1500 pounds 2000 pounds 2400 pounds and the offers don't make sense. Sometimes the offers are more than the average. Like it's five, it's like one of them was like 49,000 when it was 100,000 and like, I think it was like 10,000. Like it, it makes no sense to have like the values be so high. Another in a recent episode was five pounds or 10 pounds. Someone had a really bad string of luck. So the offer was four as in not even an amount in between it's low enough so it there is no walk away risk reward aspect so someone who's playing the banker there doesn't know how to play the fucking role of the banker i think that is a big snafu of the production and i think that is the biggest red flag of this show besides the board it's a game show the the game one with the boxes has very cheap values. So eventually it could create an anti-climax of $1,000 or $2,000. Ooh, that doesn't make entertaining television. There's not a big swing. That's not a dream factory. That's rent money. That makes for a really cheap bad show. Second, the offers are so cheap. They're not really, well, let me think about it. This is life-changing amounts of money. That it doesn't warrant all of the dramatic lighting, dramatic tension, because you're never getting to the huge cash prizes that need to be on deal. The only thing that's keeping this show from still being deal is, of course, which is, I think, the best part, is the casting. The contestants that they have gone for deal or no deal have been very, very likable. And just like in the original version... They're still taking on that little journey. We still learn a little bit about them and their aspirations. However, much like when I was watching Minute to Win It on Game Show Network or One Versus 100 on Game Show Network, 
having that lower cash prize and hearing all of these big aspirational dreams, knowing that cannot happen on this show, it feels like a slap in the face. Obviously, it doesn't matter. The viewership is good. I'm sure I'll get a season two. But with a very poor board and a very poor banker, I think it 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 kind of is only going to rely on the nostalgia of the original and not necessarily what made the show great to begin with. And I think that's the big problem with a lot of game show revivals. Uh, a lot of productions don't want to go one-to-one, obviously, so they'll just say, what do people remember about the original game show? Let's do that, and then how do we modernize it? Like Supermarket Sweep, uh, the, the, the Ryland version. They remember the sweaters. They remember running around the aisles. Go wild in the aisles. They remember the inflatables. Okay, well, that's cool. But what do we know about modern day? Well, uh, bags for life are now prevalent. A lot of these permanent bags instead of paper and plastic. A lot of security guards show up for loss prevention. Can we incorporate that? Uh, Self-checkout machines. Can we incorporate that? That's what they do. Uh, additionally, you can say things about that with things like, say, Pyramid in America, or you can say that about, um, the revival of Press Your Luck, even. What do people remember about Press Your Luck? Big Bucks, No Whammies, the cartoon Whammy, and, like, pop culture and bizarre prizes. Well, they did that. And how do you modernize it? You get modern bizarre prizes. <laughs> That's all. Uh, and then you have this big bonus round. Why? I don't know, maybe because Dealer Nodio was successful at the time. And so they want to have their own tension-ending game show to really press your luck. Uh, but what what happened with Deal UK is it's an okay show, but you're up against like things like Tipping Point give away 10,000 pounds if you play well enough in the jackpot counters. Things like The Chase, which is on afterwards... You have teams, and they could win thousands of pounds just the same, but they could also lose it as well. But there's more tension with the offers on that show than in the game show where offers is kind of the whole point. There's more tension with low offer, middle offer, high offer on the chase than the bankers offering you 2,200 pounds to walk away from 100,000 pounds and 50,000 pounds and 4,000 pounds, 3,000. It just... To me, it, it, it's a shit show. And that's kind of the, the disappointing part about Deal or No Deal UK. Uh, however, I will say, though, it is still a likable show. It is not insulting me in any way. Uh, I, I think it's still one of the... It, it, it became one of those must-see television shows in my life to now a... Well, if it's on, I'll watch it, I guess. Which is kind of disappointing, because... Deal going from a five out of five to like a three and a half or a four out of five is kind of a fall from grace for me, but it's not. I hate this show, uh, because Mulhorn is is fantastic. The contestants are great. It's still a lighthearted show, which doesn't warrant the fucking dark set and the spotlights. It's you. You can't have people just melt down over like fucking grocery of money for the week it, like it, it just doesn't work that way deal or no deal still remains one of my favorite game shows though 
uh, to me anyway, I think that that is one of those game shows that uh, sits well with me. I think when I think of modern, I like British game shows, like Pointless, The Chase, but Deal or No Deal was that perfect 2000, 2010s kind of game show that I, I think was very warm and cuddly in trying to be kind of the precursor to what we took with the Bake Off shows. Um, and then, you know, things sort of just go opposite directions. And ITV is the kind of become the game show channel, as it were. Channel 4 doesn't really do much with game shows other than I literally just told you and Countdown, uh, as far as I can remember off the top of my head, BBC always tries their luck with game shows. They have The Wheel, and they have Pointless, and they have... Uh, they probably have more uh, House of Games, obviously. Uh, but ITV, it's like every freaking week, it's a new game show out there or a new reality show. It, it, it It's kind of a, the fun playground in the UK world to see how game shows work on ITV. They did Big Brother reboot. They're doing a Jeopardy reboot. They're doing Wheel of Fortune. And now they're doing Deal or No Deal. And Deal or No Deal... It's fucking cheap, and it's, to me, that's not the uh, thrill of the show. It's the swings. The big part of the show is the big gaps, the big risk. You're risking your whole game, a few thousand pounds, to try and double the money, to try and risk it for even more, and it, it just isn't there enough, and I feel bad because it's such a fun little show, but... I, I really want that show to actually continue because I think it does work on its own. But um, I, I still miss the days where it's Countdown and Deal or No Deal. Those That was like the golden moment for me was when those two shows were back to back. Um, but hey, you know, Deal in the Chase, it's sort of the same, kind of, not really, but well, it's there. Um, I can't wait to see what they do for the next season, but I'm still so disappointed and that's the, the furious part about this. Anyway, uh, that is, I believe, it. The f The last thing on the docket tonight is uh, more game shows that lie ahead. We Are Family and The Floor are both game shows coming up on Fox. We Are Family is kind of the 1% club meets The Masked Singer, where there's 100 contestants, there's a singer, and you have to guess who's behind it if you're right. You stay on the show. If you're wrong, you're eliminated. Eh. To me, I, I, I don't know how to feel about that. Battle Royale-style shows are all the rage, uh, so it makes sense. But secondarily, it feels like they just copied the 1% Club and made it singing instead of this. Kind of like the, the choice when they had uh, the voice chairs and they wanted to make a celebrity dating show. It's sort of like they took the one element and made it this. I don't know how to feel. They also have The Floor, which is already a game show that exists in the Netherlands. The John the Mole has invented it. It's a picture quiz uh, where people go head to head in their categories of choice uh, in the hopes to win a quarter million dollars. Hosted by Rob Lowe. It looks fun. It's a. It's going to be a, a 10 week quiz. I don't know how to feel, though. I feel like, why do the... F I'll, I'll be honest. I, I like the floor as a concept, but the set is fucking dull. 
Every other set makes it look colorful, bright. We're trying to go futuristic here. And this just looks like they have a screen in the screen. It, it needs more. And I'm reminded of game shows like Duel on ABC that had this cool skyscraper effect and they're on a high pedestal. Or things like Million Dollar Money Drop or... It was a huge cash prize, but it was really going to be out of the reach of the players. But they kind of had a bit of hot water on that. I, I, I do think you can go more game shows on Fox. I, I, I'm always an advocate for that, but I feel like the floor is their attempt to try and diverge away from music guessing games. But I don't know how it would work because there's those are both Battle Royale-style format shows. And I feel like that's a double dip on the trend. Uh, if, if one fails, the second one would fail. And if both fail, they'll never try a version of that again. Uh, so I, I don't know how to feel at the moment with uh, Fox and their game shows. They're doing great in syndication. Those, the, those little 25 words or less, people enjoy them. They're cozy little shows. I would just want to watch Countdown. That's just me. I, I would want to watch a, a fun little quiz. I want I want something that is more than just the $10,000 prize. It doesn't have to be one every day. You can do a Scrabble reboot and just have it be $10,000 and go up 1000 each episode. I don't care. Um, but there needs to be more updates. There needs to be more modern it feels like a lot of game shows, at least in my opinion, aren't risky enough. And partially that's budget. Makes sense. And the other half is it's, no one really is watching game shows on television or on, on streaming. It's kind of a niche hobby. So you're kind of trying to figure out how to get new audiences and old audiences alike. Uh, the one that did work kind of was Raid the Cage on CBS because it feels like a little supermarket sweep kind of show. I just wish they had a bigger cage. That's all I ask for. A bigger cage, more cameras so you can see what's going on, and a bigger budget so they get better prizes. That's all I want. I love that fucking show. I love when they crash and burn. I wish they would be more uh, to the audience the rules of the game, though, because sometimes, oop, you didn't cross the fin. You don't get any prize. And when things like that happen, you know, it reminds me of the fox hole in the wall. And I don't want fox hole in the wall shows, which is a trend. And then let's capitalize on the trend. I want shows that have some staying power. I want some shows that are like, mm, this is going to be here for five years. And currently, I don't. I don't, I'm surprised Name That Tune has survived that long, but I'm guessing it's because COVID and Celebrity Editions. Um, but that's just me. Uh, we'll, we'll see again next year, though. I'm going to try and record as many new episodes as I can. I don't know if there's any new game show concepts coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but that's it, and we hope to see you again next year. Hope you have a happy holidays, whatever... It is, and we'll see you again in 2024 for more game shows, I suppose. Enjoy the archive while you wait. See you soon, and big smooch. Mwah!